Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. And this week, I'm really excited. We have Anders Bergstrom, who's the global GM of Teva. I have known Teva my entire life. I'm excited to go into the world of footwear. Teva specifically has been doing some really cool partnerships, which we at Modern Retail have written a little bit about, so I want to go into that. But also, it's just an exciting time to be an, an apparel brand, I would say. But Anders, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Kale. It's a real honor to be here with you today. So first, how did you end up at Teva? Oh, great question. Um, uh, well, I'm I'm Anders Bergstrom. I'm the global uh, vice president and general manager of Teva Footwear. We are a uh, brand held and operated by Decker's Brands based out here in California. Um, Decker's also owns UGG, uh, Hoka, One One, Kulabura, Sanook, a number of different brands. Um, and Teva is the first brand that Decker's as a company ever operated. Uh, took over the license in 1985 from the founder. Um, and Teva really is the cornerstone on which this company has has been built and grown over the over the years. And how did I end up here? Well, I started working at Decker's almost 20 years ago on the UGG brand and got to watch Teva over the years, um, you know, grow and change and um, really looked forward to an opportunity to get my hands on this amazing brand. And about four years ago, I ended up in this seat. And uh, it's been a real tremendous adventure, uh, to say the least. It's a it's a really phenomenal brand and one that I'm honored to be associated with. Wow. And so have you been working in footwear your entire career pretty much? Yes. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is It is all I know. It is <laughs> It is all I know. You, you, and, you know, footwear is an amazing category. It's a really cool category. And, I, and, you know, this past couple of years certainly has taught us a lesson of, you know, around the necessity of footwear and the role that it plays in not just solving problems for people, but also making people comfortable, making people feel at home, um, safe, protected, part of a club. It's a really cool category to work on. And, um, you know, again, it is all I know. So perhaps I'm a little biased, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I really, really enjoy it. So uh, this might be a weird question, but I, I wanted to ask you this just from the get go, because Teva, I've known Teva my entire life, but also maybe that's, I'm sure many people have, but also I grew up in a sort of crunchy area um, of, of Massachusetts. But I'd love to hear one thing. I've always pronounced it Teva and then Anders for the re, uh, for the listeners to know was like, actually, it's Teva. And so uh, I want, how would you describe the brand story of Teva? And what like, what would you say, do you think it's different now than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago? And what have, what has the evolution been? Uh, it's a great question. And uh, for context, the the name of the brand, Teva, is the Hebrew word for nature. Uh, so, um, and you would not be alone in your pronunciation of it as Teva. Uh, you are, you are allowed to pronounce it as you wish. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it, it's been a running joke and topic on this, on this team and this brand for the last 30 years that people say it, I, I knew it as Teva. Uh, and I came from a less crunchy place in central California, um, uh, but uh, it's always it was always Tiva for me until until I got to know the business itself. But honestly, when it comes down to it, it's a it's a it's a really wonderful concept. The idea of naming one's brand after a connection to nature um, and wild places, and so we really think about that as a a really good description of how the brand actually came to be. And I what I one of my favorite things about brands, especially great brands, is 
the extent to which the origin story it matters and it and it and it persists and continues to provide value inspiration uh source of energy for our brands many decades into the future we all know the story of you know Nike and the and the Oregon track Teva I think has an origin story that can compete with all of them and in my humble biased opinion is the greatest origin story ever and that this brand was founded by a Grand Canyon river guide in the depths of the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River as a way of solving a fundamental problem for people enjoying the adventure of a lifetime in one of the great temples of the outdoors, the Grand Canyon. And I don't know of any other brand that can that can say they were born in a national park, in a great temple of the outdoors the way we can. And and um, it 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 remains to be a constant source of inspiration, humility, uh, energy, uh, you know, uh, performance requirements. If we if our products can't perform in the Grand Canyon, be it on the river, uh, on the Bright Angel, Angel Trail, elsewhere, they don't really meet meet muster. And and so the origin of this brand coming from the Grand Canyon is something that we really we really keep close to us um, in all the decisions that we make. Got it. So let's talk about product. So Teva, to me, I, I think of it as one specific product, which are the uh, you know the sandals that you Velcro over that have two straps and, and a back. That would, um, how would you say like what what is the overall product assortment on Teva, and how do you sort of how do you lead a brand, especially in the position that you are, where people likely have a very platonic ideal image of of what it is, and you're trying to tell new like stories that still hold that North Star to be true, but also are going beyond that? Right. Well, you've just asked the gazillion dollar question <laughs> about brand management. Um, well, uh, quickly on to the um, the the subject of the iconic, you know, uh, original Universal that you described that that product. Um, is and was when it was created in 1985, the very first sports sandal. And the the idea, the notion of sports sandal did not exist until 1985. And it was Teva that brought that. And some of us are old enough to remember. I I, I remember (laughs) uh, when that happened. And it was a must-have item uh, for much of the late 80s and into the early 90s. And, And... it's interesting to try and imagine a world without sports sandals. In in the early '80s, it was flip flops and Zoris and you know Birkenstocks and Earth shoes and things like that, and, and and that kind of defined the sandal category. And what Teva did was to introduce an active component to the sandal category in a way that had not been done before. So if you boil it down to the fundamentals and say, okay, well, what Teva did was to was to create function and performance in a category that did not know function and performance before well that's a recipe that we can we can apply to other categories as well and that that's something that we can we can go and and extend um the 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 big question though is what how do you go beyond i love that term platonic <laughs> yeah it we do have a platonic um relationship with that sandal but as as plato is wont to do uh, de- definitions of brands live in heaven the same way <laughs> Plato's numbers do. And, and I think you, over the years, we've built an idea around Teva that's, it may be represented in the sandal, but it goes beyond that. And so the mission is, you know, is a broader, more far reaching and more human 
mission than, hey, we want to provide really well-performing sports sandals. Although that was the original you know, moment of inception of the brand, I think we've gone to to to, to reside now in in uh, in a much broader broader way. Absolutely, I want to I want to get more into sort of the evolution of the sports sandal, specifically because just the overall outdoor wear uh, indus- or sector has been booming of late. And so, how has that resonated with Teva as a business? What have you done? Have you been sort of doubling down in terms of trying to reach more people, meet new people, launch new products for those who are who are going outside more so than they have before? Um, what what are you seeing with that? All of the above. Uh, all of us in the active trade, footwear, apparel, you know, hard goods, the last two two years have experienced a, a demand that, you know, I mean, quite frankly, we're all trying to mitigate now with, with um, disruptions of the supply chain. However, Teva in, in particular has had a, a very interesting past few years with respect to sports sandals. You know, like as I mentioned, in 1985, Teva created the category and led it you know, globally until sometime around 2005 when Teva did not lead the category anymore. And, you know, that when a brand is not in a position of strength and leadership in its home category, that that's a brand that is in trouble. Um, this is just, this is just a immutable law of brand building. You have to be good at what you're known for. And, uh, you know, about two years ago, I guess three years ago, we, we, Rededicated ourselves to building core product authenticity, uh, reconnected with the foundational moments of the Grand Canyon and the, the performance and, and design attributes that that could be derived from that. And in short order, we we've retaken the, the number one position in sports sandals in, in the U.S. And that, to me, in a in a big picture, what what's going on with the category is something that I'm exceptionally proud of. And it's really been on the on the success of not just our original Universal, but also the Hurricane XLT2 and a, a couple of other really strong derivatives of that that really are positioning us in a position of very uh, of, of true strength in the category. And uh, all of our retail partners are experiencing the same thing. And it's really been a, a great couple of years in the sports sandal world. And um, proud to say that Teva is leading the pack. Well, congratulations. Wait, so when did you when did you overtake and become number one again? It was at the end of calendar year 2020. That's amazing. That was when, the, and that's per NPD, and and um, you know, it, it's a big deal. You yeah. know, it, it's not the biggest, it's not the biggest category in the world, right? We're not talking about you know running shoes <laughs> here, but but it, it's big enough to matter to the assortment planning of every major outdoor specialty and sporting goods, and even now, lifestyle, better department store, boutique you know, merchandisers are all looking at sports sandals as a must have item, mm-hmm. not just for the running, jumping, climbing trees, you know, playing in the river stuff, but also for crossover into streetwear and fashion. And uh, that would be the kind of things that would be highlighted by some of the collabs that you've seen us um, execute over the last few years. I want to get into sort of the retail strategy and how you work with retail partners. But I have to ask, just given the timing, do you think, uh, do you think one of the reasons that you, there's this resurgence and you've been able to grow is because of sort of the rise of Gorp Core, which is such a such a funny term, but I do read about it sometimes. I love it. So, like, has that something that you like you as a global GMC and like keep track of and say, yeah, this is this is a fashion subculture that's coming back and we fit into that zeitgeist? Without a doubt, at all. Okay. 
uh, I think the 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 mainstream adoption or the call it the the style identity adoption of outdoor brands into streetwear and fashion is I would say you're right in the sense that it's coming back in a way in the US that maybe is disruptive and and new. We're we we're lucky to have a really strong position in Japan. So Teva's been the number one sports handle in Japan for for a decade. And in Japan, Teva is seen as a as a wardrobe staple because it offers this modern outdoor lifestyle. The, the what we call gorbcore is really just the way people in Tokyo dress. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's really fascinating. <laughs> I, and I, I was talking about this with the GM in Japan the other night. You know, we we just need to go back to if we ever a question about whether a product is going to work or not. Can you see it on the streets of Tokyo? Because it's offering functional benefit. It's offering comfort. It's offering a really this unique technical style that, um, you know, quite frankly, outdoor brands are really good at delivering. And, you know, is a brand is a brand interesting enough to cross over and be worn as a badge of attitude, as, as a, 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 a bit of a statement? And we happen to be one of those brands that people love to make a statement with. So let's talk about the overall retail strategy. You you mentioned, you know, all of your retail partnerships. i I, I, for a, a company as big as yours, I imagine that is the the vast majority of your sales. But was was your overall retail strategy changed, especially as it relates to sort of online direct to consumer? How has that shifted over the last two years, with as a result of the coronavirus and and all, and everything? Absolutely. I mean, it shifted last year by necessity, and this would be the same for anyone anyone who sold anything in the first half of 2020 did so on the internet. I mean, we had, you know, over a million pairs of shoes in the U S alone locked behind some kind of door, whether it's a retail store or a distribution center. And we had to figure out a way out of that. And thankfully for us, the the tide began to turn right as summer was coming along. Um, But yeah, the, I would say the retail strategy for Teva as influenced by the disruptions of 2020 it just accelerated what was working already. Um, it, it served to, to to provide fuel, further fuel on on the fire that was that was already working. We were already, you know, a pretty strong online brand at the time, and uh, I would extend that out not just to Teva.com, but also our retail partners, REI and DSW, you know, Dick Sporting Goods, Nordstrom, etc are all great operators when it comes to e-commerce and, and everyone saw the consumer adoption shift in relatively the same proportion. Um, and I think we have seen a new normal. I think consumers are more comfortable buying footwear online than they ever have been. And at the same time, you know, we are seeing some people head back into the stores, uh, you know, joyously, uh, those who, for whom doing that is an important, um, experience are, are now free to do so. But, Long answer to question. Yeah, I, I think it's a new normal. I think online or or at least a blended channel approach of, you know, retail fulfillment, some innovative ideas, click and collect. And, you know, we're even seeing some partners go, you know, into you know, pre-order and back order as a way of maintaining consumer engagement. I, th- I think it's really good for for brands who who have the capacity to engage consumers on that level. I mean, are you trying to specifically like in the in in the ratio of retail partners to online are you trying to make it so that you're selling more at teva.com is that really not on your radar you're you're happier if they just buy them wherever sort of how has that shifted the way that you think about things 
Yeah, it's a great question. At the end of the day, I'm happy when a consumer is happy, when a consumer finds the product they're looking for, whether it's from us or from, you know, REI or Nordstrom or whomever. That that's that's good, right? I think the smarter question would be, you know, to zoom in on that one level and say what role does a direct sale play in the overall ecosystem? And and I believe that, you know, just by virtue of of knowledge, expertise, and environment, a direct sale has a the ability of delivering an experience that a that a you know a retailer sale doesn't. We have the ability to go in deeper into information. We have, you know, if you refer to our website, you, you can see a, a long detailed story about our sustainability programs, you know, which is not really feasible, you know, and I, I understand why. I mean retailer like REI has hundreds of brands that they have to that they have to communicate about. So I th- I think of Teva.com as a source of inspiration and influence in the marketplace. And um and so we we think about that linearly as you know products can start really finding their audience at, at Teva.com. And thankfully we're a brand that's fairly well known and we do have a successful direct website. But that is meant to stimulate new demand and new interest through consumers all throughout the marketplace. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about partnerships because I know you've done more than a few partnerships of late. How long has have these sort of co-branded programs been been going on with Teva? Uh, like the collaborations, yeah, you mean? Yeah. Uh, since before my time. And so I, I don't want to misrepresent. I would say the first that I remember actually started in Japan uh, with retailers in, like Beams, um, you know, Beauty and Youth around 2010 so well over a decade ago and and one thing that's so interesting about it is that the sport sandal itself is so iconic it's so unusual um for lack of a better term uh, that collab partners have a, a an absolute field day tweaking it and it's not a blank canvas it just is a number of straps that are attached to a midsole and just to see the kind of output that we've seen from, you know, we have did a project with Janae Iko and we did a project with Stance and we did a project with Outdoor Voices. And and if you get into Japan, we're, we've been working with, you know, high-end retail, high-end designers there too. They're all different. Um, you know, Christian Cowan from this past spring was just remarkable. The, the extent to which he looked at that silhouette and created something new out of it. So I think there's a power in the sport sandal form itself, which is enticing to people because it's a challenge. There's only so much you can change. And the fact that over these years, we've had so many distinct collaborations on a relatively simple platform is is really something to be proud of. Got it. So what are the KPIs for a collab? Is it about brand equity? Is it about sales volume? How do you choose who it is that you're working with and that they can, you know, check the boxes that that will be good for both parties involved. Yeah, it's evolved over the years. It's a really good question. I appreciate that one. And where it started, it was about equity. It was about exposure. Um, it was, you know, potentially about volume, but n- not, not typically. Where it's moving now, and this is evident in a collab that we just launched last week, um, with our friends at Cotopaxi, it, it's really about expressing values. And we did our first um, Cotopaxi collab last year where we actually incorporated remnant materials from their apparel and bags 
into um, sandal straps. And that was not easy, but, but it made the statement about, you know, um, reducing consumption of material, uh, reusing otherwise materials that would otherwise be wasted. And that's continued on to the launch of our re-ember with Cotopaxi, which, which is available now at Teva.com and also REI exclusively, um, which features, you know, uh, recycled ripstop nylon in the upper and, and uh, regrind and post-industrial waste in the midsole. And it's a call to action to, to express some innovation that, that proves our commitments to sustainability. So we do more of those values-oriented uh, collabs these days than, than pretty much anything. Do you think, specifically with Teva, and you, but you could also extend this outward with other footwear brands because I'm sort of fascinated with this phenomenon, but are, are collabs specifically now just designed to sell out? Are they supposed to be just sort of a drop, cause buzz, you know, draw a little bit of volume, but then also be a finite resource? Or do you, or what, is that, is that what you're hoping for, uh, you know, helping lead this brand or is that not? Generally speaking, yes, just on a inventory prudence level. Um, however, I think that there's the possibility that, that an icon can be created between two brands that becomes an annuity that, that can stay in a product line over time. It doesn't happen a lot. Um, but I, I think there's so much good creativity happening between brands that if something were to come about that we said, hey, should we just make this again? Because everyone loved it so much, you know, we would have to consider that because some of these products are just so interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, speaking of in stock and you you sort of alluded to this earlier, but I know what I'm assume it's on top of my it's top of mind for you. I know it's on top of mind of everyone else I've spoken to literally in the last you know, six months, year. So what what's going on specifically with Teva with you in terms of supply chain and how? What have you What have you all been doing to sort of alleviate the pressure points that I'm sure exist specifically as we're going into the holidays? Well, I was going to make a joke and ask, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, it's for my all my <laughs> colleagues out there. Um, okay, uh, the answer to that question that makes the most sense is whatever we can. What are we doing to alleviate the pressure? Whatever we can. Um, I think the the way I think about this right now is really on a leadership level, which is to help my team, my stakeholders um, understand what the root cause of of all of this is. Some some of it is you know factory capacity. Some of it is COVID related. Some of it is logistics. Some of it is you know not enough containers and chassis and things like that. It's really multidimensional and hard to understand. And um, in fact, I have an all hands this afternoon to talk really about, you know, one one level into the detail on our supply chain. Like, where are we? What's moving? It's about understanding what you can control and accepting what you cannot control and working around it. Um, and, you know, those those lists are very distinct <laughs> um, between what we can and can't control and where Teva is in a interesting and advantageous position is, you know, being a brand on the rise when these kinds of things happen, when supply is constricted, demand tends to increase. Mm -hmm. The desire for a brand only gets more, uh, it only gets stronger um, when supply is limited. Now that only, that is true only up into a point because a customer is only willing to wait so long for something that they want. 
Um, and we know that. And I think our relationships with our retailers are really proving to be very helpful here as we communicate uh, the day-to-day changes in, in what's happening. But we are in a very, very strong position. We came into this in a strong position, as we did last year too. And, and it really helped us to accelerate through the challenge. And um, I'm expecting for that to be the same here with this. So you mentioned earlier uh, pre-sale, or I think, I forget what you said, maybe it was signups, but is that something that you do a lot of? And is that new or have you always done that? Because I feel like specifically when there are uh, supply constraints, I know for smaller brands, but maybe for bigger brands do, they try to garner interest and get people to sign up before they're available. Is that something that you have been doing more of these days or has it always been the same? A little bit. Um, it's, it's top of mind today because our partners at REI actually put the Cotopaxi collab on presale, um, this past week because they were just taking time to get products from the port to the warehouse to, you know, through intake and, and, and ready to ship. And so I think consumers are becoming more accepting of that. I think, like I said earlier, that it, it, they will be patient up into a point. And I think Many of us brands are going to find out where that point is, uh, where those pre-sales are just not worth it. But as of now, I think when we know that the product is inbound, uh, a pre-sale is a pretty good go-to-market strategy. I only have a few more questions. We're running close to out of time, but I have so many questions I want to ask you. But one is, uh, specifically with all the constraints and you're dealing with everything that you can, how have your relationships with retailers changed, specifically when it comes to big retailers and then also the small independent boutiques? Because I imagine everyone's jockeying just to get as much product as they can in the doors. And when you're a big retailer, you might have a little bit more sway with a company like yours than a smaller one. How, how are you navigating all of that terrain? Because I imagine that's quite difficult. It's really on the level of the relationship now. Because we don't have any you know, magic wand or silver bullet, no, one, no brand has any privileged information over anyone else. What we are relying on is an ongoing and well-built relationship with our majors as well as our independent specialty accounts who uh, just to speak about them for just a moment, we we've seen an incredible recovery of the outdoor and footwear specialty channel over the last year since the trauma of, of March of 2020, we we've really seen that channel um, bounce back in, in a real, in a real way to, in, in a way that I don't fully understand. I'm extremely excited about it because I, in footwear, we 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 love that independent channel. That they are opinion leaders. They are really great at launching products, and you know, and you know, the, the growth of our hike category has largely been led by better outdoor specialty accounts. And so, to answer your question, it, it's really just been an investment in these relationships in the long term. And some of some of these accounts have been with us since the very beginning, and a commitment to do the right thing both for us and for them to be mindful of their inventory risk and, and and everyone's ability to be profitable with our brand. And uh, that's helped to, to pull us through thus far. And, and I think everyone knows how dedicated we are to, to running a healthy and strong brand here with Teva and our partners. Absolutely. All right. Well, this will be my last question. What are your main focuses right now? What's on the horizon? What are you seeing for 2022? Is it, are there going to be more collabs? Do you have, you know, certain targets in play and also, these are many questions I realize, but I'm putting them all into one question. Um, uh, do you do you think supply chain hiccups might be alleviated sometime in the next year? What are, what are you seeing on all of those horizons? I'm hopeful that you know in the next six months, um, some of the 
the simpler, I say it's simple, but simpler um, supply chain issues like availability of containers, uh, of chassis, of drivers, the logistics things will will start to release and and you'll start to see more um, fluid transit of goods. I think um, the the production side is dependent on vaccination rates, which are showing a, a real sign of improvement um, throughout our manufacturing sectors. And so, you know, being fact based, I'm hopeful that that we're going to get ourselves out of this or through this at some point. But I think we'll all have learned an important lesson um, about about the role that supply chain and understanding all of your factors of production and bringing a product to market play. And that all the highfalutin brand talk is really not worth a paper it's written on um, without a really robust and strong supply chain operation. And um, I think everyone will have learned that lesson the same. Um, what am I looking forward to? Um, you know, you might recall this past year we we launched um, a re- footwear recycling program called Teva Forever. What that really is is a reverse logistics infrastructure to to begin circularity in footwear. Uh, this is a, a virtually impossible thing to execute in our, in our industry, largely because that reverse logistics capability just doesn't exist. And what Teva Forever did was to enlist our consumers, our audience in this mass collaboration towards sustainability. And so we believe in the next year, we'll be able to to take those recycled pairs, which we've been drawing on this past year and turn them into new shoes. That's something that I, I'm manifesting. It's very difficult. <laughs> um, and I'm not talking about like circularity by 2050 or some kind of like, you know, thing like that. I'm talking about like in the next year. That's so and, funny. Wow. Um, yeah. And we were lucky. Our form factor lent us the ability to recycle our shoes easily. Most shoes cannot be recycled because you know, like a lot of work goes into keeping shoes from coming apart. So, so even though you'd like to be able to disassemble a shoe, like most of the design and construction is intended to keep that from happening. Um, but sports handles are different. Uh, There's four connection points. It's just four cuts. And, um, so we've been able to create this really amazing recycling program in partnership with TerraCycle, and it is going to enable a, a closing of the loop uh, of our material supply chain. And it's really something very special about Teva. Yeah, that's, I literally was just talking with someone about this the other day, and they were saying how sort of the next gold mine specifically for sort of the interstitial spaces of retail are companies that are doing precisely this, sort of tying up and doing resale specifically because of all of the, the tight inventory you have. But if you have inventory coming in specifically of used things, then you'll likely have more at your disposal. So that's fascinating that you guys are doing that. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, Anders, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I really enjoyed it. So did I, Kale. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week.